Welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast. I'm Ian Cheeseman. Thanks very much to Charles Dot, uh, Charles Dot, Charles Louis Dot, UK, who are the sponsors of this podcast, for which I am very grateful. They are chartered mortgage advisors. So if you need any advice on buying a house, taking out a mortgage, or anything really related to houses, I think, apart from what colour of bricks you want, uh, then contact charleslouis.co.uk. Dave is your man. He's a City fan, so he'll look after you, I'm sure. I'll uh, give you the uh, website address again a little bit later on. Uh, I have a different lineup this week than last week and the week before. We like to vary it around, although... Uh, just like a bad smell, Tony's here again from Hot Click Marketing. So, Tony, thank you. Thanks for having me. We've also got Adam and we've got Hello. Will this week. Good evening. So, uh, good evening, boys. Good evening. And you should be very happy, I assume, after the the latest victory. By the way, we're back at Same Side Radio as well. Thanks very much to Bolton FM for stepping in last week when we, we had some technical issues. But we're back at Same Side Radio. Thanks for that. But I presume you must be happy after the 3-0 win against Villa. Though I did hear people as I was leaving the stadium saying that, and, and actually Pep echoed this, didn't he, in what he said after the game, that he thought City's performance in the first half actually wasn't very good. So uh, so let's get your verdicts on the game, boys. I don't think the first, yeah, the first half wasn't good at all. Um, it wasn't up to the standards, that, the high standards that we've set. I think if Villa would have taken, if the Villa could have easily taken a couple of chances and, and gone one up. Um, second half, we were back to... Maybe not back to the, the, the heights that we've been over the past couple of years, but certainly better than we were in the first half and probably better than a couple of games we've played this season. We're yet to hit these dizzying heights that we've seen over the last couple of years, but the, the second half certainly was an improvement. And regardless of that, the issue with the second goal, I think we would have gone on to have won the game anyway, even if that had been rightly ruled out. Um, yeah, so it was three points, and that's what we've got to keep getting, just like Liverpool have done. We're recording this now. I'm in a bit of a bad mood. I should be in a great mood because City won, but I've just watched Liverpool win 2-1, and that's put me in a bad mood. So, um, yeah, we just got to keep getting points like they're doing and, and wait till Anfield. Do you feel as if Liverpool are going to win it this season? Or I mean, some people will say by even asking that question, I'm being negative. I'm asking questions, that's all, people. Uh, uh, do you feel as if Liverpool are going to win it this year? So I think the best way to approach it is if I was to say, um, I'm, I, want, I want to put a bet on to who's, who's going to win the league. At the minute, neutral, if I was putting money on, I'd be putting it on Liverpool. One, because they're six points up already, but even though they've not hit their heights that they were at last season either, they're still playing, I think, better uh, than us, even though they've been scraping victories. The fact they have been scraping victories worries me, because that is, you know, as they say, the sign of a title-winning team. And I do think that they... Of their, their, I think they're better than us at the minute so I would put my money on Liverpool but football doesn't always work like that who, you know, whose money doesn't always go to the person who is the best at the time So Is that, that because of injuries? Is, is that because of things that City can't control? Um, yeah, that's certainly a factor but then I also think there, there might be a mental side to it you know, we've won, we won two Premier League titles now um, and Liverpool are after that first Premier League title and they're going to really want to go for it they really want it Perhaps it'll have the opposite effect with us in the Champions League and we're going to really want to go for that, whereas Liverpool will be focused the opposite way. It might not be a conscious thing and I think a lot of, a lot of the fans obviously won't feel that. We, always, we want the Premier League, but maybe the players subconsciously have sort of slowed down a little bit. The intensity might not be there, um, the, the same as it's been over the last few years to kick on. We saw it from Vincent Company after the first year. We want to win that back-to-back title. We need to win that. We've never done it. We've done it now. Three times in a row, yeah. Only United have, have done it in the Premier League era. But I just think the the way we're going at the moment, uh, it just doesn't look like we're quite there, up to the standard yet. Hopefully we build it up to that standard, but I don't think we are yet. What about you two thinking, first of all, about the Villa game? Um, I'm going to kind of echo uh, what Adam just said there with regards to the game of two halves analogy. Um, first half, I don't think we were good enough, but then I think that we've seen that in a few games this season, particularly Norwich, where it only took Villa to get one goal in that first half and we're chasing our tail again. And I don't know, we seem to have something lacking until we get our first goal. That confidence doesn't necessarily seem to be there where previous seasons we had that we were always going to score regardless even if we put we conceded one we were still going to score another two three uh, more goals whereas we seem to have lost that a little bit this season in terms of we need to just get a goal to be confident and play confident football like we saw in the second half would a different second half if Sterling didn't score after 20 seconds or 30 seconds whatever it was probably because the nerves would have settled in it was a bit of a weird atmosphere yesterday as well 
Um, in terms of us in Liverpool, um, no, ask me in March, I think the answer to that one, because I just think that we're a quarter of the season in. Um, we've got to play them twice. I know they've scraped it with Spurs, and I know what Adam's saying in terms of how they're playing, and they do seem to be scraping results, but at the same time, I don't see it as, and this is going to sound, we've got my tinfoil hat on, but I don't, but I don't see it as Liverpool scraping. I just think they've had the rub of the green when it comes to decisions more than we have this season so far. So if I was comparing the two squads, I genuinely think, even though we've lost two games, we've actually performed as a squad a lot better than Liverpool, but they've had the rub of the green where we haven't with decisions and things like that. Would you say that the, the players who've been playing regularly, Kevin De Bruyne, I'll pick him mm. out as a as a random example, is playing as well as he can do because people, you, and you've sort of just alluded to it, Adam, are saying that City are not playing playing as well as Liverpool. Is I mean, I know there are, there are injury absentees, but I'm I look at Kevin De Bruyne at the moment and still feel as he he's not absolutely his best. Yes, he can still. You know, get statistically the number of assists that, mm. that make look very impressive, but in his general gameplay, which is what you you watch in the ninety-minute match, particularly when you're at the game more, I, I still think he's not quite at the level he can be at. Or am I wrong on that? And 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 does that apply to other players? Because people say David Silva is getting a little bit older. It's in his last season. Bernardo had a brilliant season last night. Last season, he's been a little bit in and out. I mean, what I'm saying is, are the individuals at the same level that they were, regardless of the injury problems? Yes, but no, because, and the reason I say that is because, um, in terms of performance wise, last season and the season before, you would see their immense ability for 90 minutes whereas this season we seem to see it for 60 minutes and then half an hour they either switch off not necessarily switch off but kind of drop down to second gear um, and I think that's the issue this season um, I think with certain players it is a matter of fitness so Mendy I think he's looked good so far but his touch is just too heavy and I think that's just match rustiness more than anything coming back from injuries um, De Bruyne I think is it a case of he puts that effort in, but then worries a little bit about a recurring injury maybe and you know pulls back that effort for 10 minutes to push for the next 10 minutes and things like that. But I think collectively, the team as a whole don't seem to be switched on for the full 90 minutes. I can't think of a game this season where even the Watford 8-0, Watford had two clear chances um, that we gifted them essentially. Um, so yeah, I don't think that it's an individual um, person's fault. I just think collectively as a team, we've not been switched on for the full 90 minutes in any game so far this season. I don't know if you want to weigh, weigh in on that, Will, or whether you want to go back to just generally giving us your view on the, the Villa game. Um, well, I was just thinking, as Tony was talking, um, I think for the past, the, the two seasons where we won a lot, we had an established start in 11, didn't we? Everyone knew who was going to play what position and where. Whereas this season, we don't have that. We have amazing players in every position, but we don't have an established first 11. And I think that's affecting it somehow. There isn't a, a run of games, say three, four games on the trot, where the same team is playing and the same team are getting used to each other's ideas and things like that. And I think... That's uh, a very good point, although... I would suggest that it's the back four, that's the, and maybe the person in front of it, obviously, the, the sort of defensive unit, if you like, that really is chain, chopping and changing all but, the time, but, isn't it? Yeah, completely agree. But even then, the, the middle three, so so last year it was Ferner as the holding and Silver and De Bruyne as the, as the floaters. There doesn't seem that consistency in the middle either. Sometimes it's Gundogan who go, goes ahead and De Bruyne drops back. Sometimes it's two at the back and there's the one going forward. So... I just think I think he's trying to tinker a little bit too much and I think he just needs to settle on a squad and stick with it. Obviously Phil Foden is a is a big topic of conversation and has been for for a little while now. He he uh, he played the full 90 minutes, well <laughs> virtually the full 90 minutes against Atalanta. Um and then came on as a late substitute in the Aston Villa game. I saw a poll on social media today suggest you know suggesting that I think the vote at the time I looked at it was about 120 for Foden starting the next game um, and maybe about 20 or 30 that he doesn't. Uh, the ones that were saying he shouldn't were saying, well, who does he replace? The ones who said he should said he's ready, get him in, look at the difference he makes when he comes on. Which side of that argument are you three on? Uh, whatever Pep says. <laughs> Cop out. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason I say that is because 
I've been impressed with Foden in the Atalanta game. I've been really, I was really impressed with him. And even when he came on yesterday, I was impressed with him. I've said it time and time again. I don't think he necessarily deserves that moniker of the Stockport and yesterday until he does it week in, week out. And he's got to start showing himself that he can do. And I think for what we've seen of him this season in those two games, he's starting to show it. Yesterday, you know, he was creating chances and he looked really good. When we say the next game, if we're talking about the Carabao Cup game, then yes, I would start him. If we're talking about the Premier League game on the Saturday, then no, I wouldn't. Um, and that's probably me prioritising the Premier League game because I'd rather David Silva rest for the midweek game and have him fully fit for um, the Southampton at the weekend just because I think he's crucial in his experience is crucial in the Premier League. Um, not to say, you know, you've got to get experience by playing, so how's Foden never going to get experience as long as we've got David Silva, but I think he just needs more game time, essentially, uh, before we start seeing him week in, week out. Didn't, sorry, didn't Pep say David Silva wasn't going to play two games a week this season? Yeah. And it, he is, though, isn't he? And it, it, is, is that because Pep doesn't trust Foden enough? Perhaps so, yeah. Perhaps so. I remember him saying that, and it does seem that... Silver's playing a lot more games than I thought he would do yeah. this season. And that probably is to do with the fact that he doesn't feel like he can rest him as much as he thought he might be able to rest him. I was pleasantly surprised at how well Foden played against Atalanta because, mm. to be honest, like Foden is inconsistent for me. Some games he'll play, like, he's, he's played in the Cup games, so you're judging him off Carabao Cup and FA Cup games. And some games he's looked good, but that's against the likes of, like, Oxford and... Teams like that where he should look good, really, if he's meant to be this world-class star in the next couple of years. And then these games where he just doesn't even look like... He, he, getting, the game passes him by. And in that position, the game can't be passing him by. He's got the one to make things happen. And on Tuesday, he was making things happen. He was making those key passes that mm. I, I expect to see with all the hype that he gets. Because you expect to go and see him start and go, wow, what a player. And actually... I thought that on Tuesday. I thought, wow, he's, he's played really well tonight. And it's the, the first game that I've, I've seen him play against decent opposition where I've gone, this guy is decent and he's got a chance of, of really pushing into the starting eleven. It's worth saying, by the way, that Atalanta won 7-1 today against Udinese. Yeah. So they're no mugs. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, if you want to expand on that, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Adam. Just I just quickly, wanted to point yeah, that out. Um, interject <coughs> on the Silver Foden thing. I think one of the things that's affected Pep with that one has been international duties. So Phil's gone with England's... Uh, under 21s internationally and Silver's True. stayed so he's fully rested more so than Foden and I think once the international breaks disappear after November we might start to see that rotation more but that's just obviously guess we don't know that one but we'll see yeah so with the just going back on, onto Foden I think yeah you certainly start him in the Carabao Cup game I think what I'm after for him if I was Guardiola not Guardiola but if I was um, I'd be after this consistency in the games that he is playing. So I don't want to see him turn up in one Carabao Cup game and then not play well in the FA Cup or something like that. He needs to be consistent at the level he's being allowed to play at, at the moment. Because you can't be given consistent starts in the Premier League before you, you're being consistent in a, in a lower level game like the League Cup uh, and the FA Cup. So I'm after that, and because he played so well in the Champions League, if he plays well in the Carabao Cup, you think, well, he's had two really strong games there, and then that just means, that just gives him a better argument and a, a, better, a better choice to go, Pep, I've, I've played great, you've said I've played great the last two games, you know, why aren't you starting me? Whereas at the minute, it's sort of like, yeah, Phil, you play well every now and again, but we can't trust you, we never know which one's going to show up, is the game going to pass you by, are you going to take him by the scruff of the neck? We don't know at the minute, really. What do you reckon, Will? Yeah, um, I think Adam's got it spot on, really. Um, all all City fans want him to do well. Um, yeah. I think when he's on the pitch, we all support him. He, there's no booze if he misplaces a pass or whatever. We definitely said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he, he gets special treatment off the fans, doesn't he? We give him a lot more slack than we would Mares, for example. Um, and I just think, I hope it doesn't come to the point. I hope... Like Adam says, you know, he gets gets more games, gets more confidence. And I, I just hope we don't get to the stage where we start turning on him and saying, oh, well, ooh, he, he's not as good as we thought he was. Let's just get rid of him for a fee and bring in him a world beater for 100 million. That's OK for that to happen, though. If he's not good enough, then he's not good enough, you know what I mean? So I don't, I think... But at the minute, obviously, I'm not saying he's not good enough now, but for you to say that that shouldn't happen, well, actually, it should happen if he's not good enough. If he's not good enough, then sell him. At the minute, I think he's got the potential to, to be good enough. But if he signs, if Pep doesn't think he is, just because he's from Stockport, don't mean he gets a free pass. He needs to be good enough to play in our team, a world-class team. 
I think that's a very good point because uh, you can see down the history of, of all football clubs really, including perhaps Fergie United was one of the ones who slightly bucked the trend, but most of them, um, when a manager comes in, they have the sort of players that they've signed, players that they've nurtured and brought through, and then once those team, those players are established in their team and they've got their team, if form dips, they tend to have a bit of a blind spot because they signed them, because they brought them through. Now, I'm not meaning this as a generalisation, I'm talking individually as well. And it applies to us all as fans, you know, because Phil Foden is from Stockport and is a local lad and is a City fan, and we all know that, everybody has a massive soft spot for him. When he comes on as a substitute, there is a bigger cheer when he comes on than there is for anybody else. Yeah. But I think what you're saying, Adam, is that, you've, you know, hopefully Pep is doing this and, and we all think that Pep is, well, I think we all, I speak for everybody when we say he's God. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he can really do no wrong. Certainly, it sounds like that's what Tony thinks. <laughs> um, but even then, it takes it takes real um, intelli- football intelligence to still be able to step back and go, you know what? I know I've said he's the greatest young player that I've ever seen at this level. And maybe that's what he's doing when he's not picking him. Maybe, maybe his actions are outweighing actually what he's saying. Or is he just playing a game with us? I don't know. What do you think? I'd... I mean, I think Pep believes he is a world beater. Um, I just worry that... um... For the record, by the way, I think his performance against Atalanta was probably the best I've seen him play um, for the first team, certainly. And even when he came on as a substitute against Villa, I thought he was was very good. So, and, and, and... so, so we're now talking at a time when he's just starting to show some of the best football. But it's this is more of a general conversation, isn't it? I think um, you made the point about Fergie and obviously the, the, all the youth that he brought in. And I'm sure Gary Neville wasn't the best right-back that United could have had during their period of dominance. But Fergie knew he was a local lad, he was a fan, he's somebody that you need in the squad and need in the team if only to keep the fans engaged and you don't want a team full of 150 pound 150 million pound mercenaries you've got to have something to mm. cling on to and make it seem real almost that's what i think it's a very good point that actually yeah. isn't it yeah. you know you do need somebody to identify with don't you you do but i just uh, i think with phil i mean going back to phil i think gary neville is a different time and a different era and that's where he got on a lot away with a lot more than what we would see in a right back now um, he was never, in my opinion, he was never a good right back and he was never a great right back. But I'm um, slightly biased, I think, with that one. When it comes to Phil, I think we've got to take what Pep says sometimes with a pinch of salt. We saw in the All or Nothing documentary when he said, Look, out there, I will defend you. I will tell them you are the best players in here, in the changing room. This is where I'm going to tell you the truth. So I think we've also got to kind of tape what Pep says about Phil sometimes because at the training ground, is he then saying, Look, you've got to do what Kevin's doing over here. You've got to look. And is that why he's not starting every game? We don't know this information. You know, we don't know the ins and outs of it all. Um, but from what we've seen, especially this season, I thought. <clears throat> Um, I wasn't too impressed, I must admit, when um, he played, I think it was a full 90 minutes against Preston um, in the earlier state, earlier on this season. Um, but based on Atalanta and yesterday, I think he's definitely putting his name forward now and seems to be pushing for that start more so than we've seen him in any other season. Um, and I particularly was impressed with his link-up with Kevin. Um, I thought they were both playing well off each other in terms of creating spaces and making runs for each other. So potentially, um, I'm really hopeful. Um, I think he could go on to replace David for the next 10 years. Um, but that's basing it on two games in you know, 10 minutes here and probably the Spurs game at the um, back end of last season. But other than that, we just need to see more of him if we're going to make those judgments. Moving on to other players then, um, you could also make the argument that actions speak louder than words when it comes to somebody like John Stones, who for the latter part of last season, when it got to the business end of the season, didn't figure, even though I think for most of that time he was actually fit. 
Um, Vincent Company was the go-to right-sided central defender with obviously a, a fit Merrick Laporte playing on the left-hand side. And even though there was a little bit of squad, squad rotation, that never really changed for me. At the beginning of this season, Stones has had injury problems again. But when he's been fit, he's not always automatically gone back in. We saw in the, the game two matches ago when Rodri and Fernandinho, two midfielders, were chosen ahead of a fully fit, in theory, John Stones and Nicholas Otamendi. So, what does that does that does that action of of preferring to go with two midfielders tell us that Pep is 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 just a different way of thinking that 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 maybe we're the old fashioned way of thinking of two central defenders should be the shoe in, or does that mean he doesn't really have faith in John Stones, particularly and Nicholas Otamendi, who's had so much stick from certain elements of City fans recently. I think it did sort of show, probably not for the first time, because I agree, Last at the back end of last season, I think his, his injury problems finished about mid-April, and then he was just sort of sat there on the bench while company was doing great. I think sort of the second time that we've seen Pep suggest to us that he's not actually as convinced with John Stones as some of the fans are. I think a lot, I think the fans might be more convinced about John, a lot of the fans, or certainly I am actually, more convinced with John Stones than, than Pep is. I, I think he's a great player. I think um, he, on the ball he's brilliant. Yes, he's got a mistake in him. We've all got, every single one in our back line's got a mistake in him. Laporte less so. But we're usually three or four ahead. But at the minute, we're not great going forward as well. So we're having to make sure that we are shored up at the back. So I think Pep's thinking has been, we actually can't afford to have Otamendi making the odd mistake, Stone's making the odd mistake at the moment. Because that one mistake could cost us the points because at the minute we're not firing all, on all cylinders going forward either. Whereas at times it feels like you could play me at centre-half and we'd still win because we're going to score three or four either way. I pass the ball about, that's about it. So, yeah, I think it is Pep perhaps suggesting that he doesn't trust Stone's to make sure we get that clean sheet. I know, though, he should be, shouldn't he? Well, I'm going to kind of change the question you've asked because for me, um, obviously there's the famous quote in terms of Pep saying he would have 11 midfielders um, if he could, but for me, is it a case of Pep showing the importance of the competitions that were in that Stones? It was just coming back. He hadn't played a game since he'd been injured, so he was looking at Rodri and Fernandinho saying, right, they played the last game, they've got that match fitness, so let's go with them and ease John into it in you know the last 20 minutes um, and bring him back and build him up because he can't play a full 90 minutes. Um, so potentially I think that could have played into his mind and the importance of the competitions, um, especially with regards to obviously the Champions League, but in particular the league, because because obviously we was chasing now. So I think there's, we can read sometimes too much into what Pep does, um, because we look at the season before, um, or even the first half of last season, before we got injured, and I think he played something like 10, 12 games in a row. So if Pep didn't trust him, he wouldn't have played those games. I do genuinely think it's down to fitness worries at the moment, um, and he just needs to get this rustiness out of him. It's a bit similar with Mendy, of he needs three or four games to have that confidence, but at the same time, can we afford to give him three or four games to get that confidence? Because if he makes those mistakes, it's going to cost us. Yeah, um, I think you, you mentioned it when we were talking about Foden, how the managers sometimes have a, a soft spot for the players that they've signed. I think Stones might be one of those for Pep, because um, obviously he come in as a, a young kid and it felt like Pep took him under his wing. Um, <clears throat> those quotes, Pep saying, John is a effing brilliant guy he seems to really like him on a balls. a personal level he's got balls as well so I think I think Pep's got more faith in him than he lets on I think Tony's right in the fact that he couldn't have rushed him straight back into the, the first 11 um, may as well stick with the, the pair that, that worked okay um, probably now that um, Rodri's out I think we will see Stones start a few games Stones, I reckon it'll be Stones and Fernandinho for the next couple of games now yeah, who were partnering with Stones then when Fern is suspended? Otamendi, are you giving Garcia? Fernandinho, and, uh, though, as far as I'm aware, and correct me if I'm wrong, will miss the midweek game yeah, against that's Southampton. What I, that's what I thought. But he'll be yeah. back for the Southampton League game, won't so, he? Yeah, Gar so Gar Garcia down. for the Carling Cup. Yeah. Now, so, obviously, yeah. we're getting close to this big Carabao. Liverpool game. There's, there's, there's the two. Um, well, there's three games between now and Liverpool. 
one of which is the return leg of the Atalanta, or the the, sec- the way fixture against Atalanta, I know it's not two legs, and the two games against Southampton, which is such an unknown quantity because they just got thrashed at home. Um, we don't know whether the, the same manager is going to be in charge by the time City play them, and we don't know whether that result is going to completely demoralise them or whether they're going to park the bus and have a point to prove. But in theory... The next three games are the build-up to the Liverpool game. By the time we next sit and do a podcast, it'll all be systems go for the Liverpool game. But I suspect that a couple of you, at least, won't be in, in the next podcast because I vary it around. So I would love to hear what you're thinking now as we're inching towards this Liverpool game. First of all, how big is it? Is it bigger than, than it's been before? And who does he go with at centre-back? Obviously, we know that Mendes is the only fit left back at the moment. Well, Angelino as well, but Zinchenko has been injured. He's now he's now out for a little while as well. Um, so they're really uh, stretched at the back in that sense. Do you expect Fernandinho to play at Anfield? Do you, do you expect uh, is Otamendi now just out of the picture, even though he's an international centre back for Argentina? Um, in terms of the, the centre half partnership, um, I think Fernandinho has to play at centre back. So, so if it was as it is now, as it is now, the players available. You at Anfield, Anfield was tomorrow. Yeah, Fernandinho would if play. I'm, right. So if I, if I, if Anfield was tomorrow, I'd have. So I'm. I've certainly got John Stones is in the team. Um. So he's one of my centre backs, and then I can't decide whether I'm having Fernandinho at centre back or Rodri at centre back. And, and the Rodri's other two, not going to be fit though, is he? Who's that? Rodri's oh, not going to be fit. Oh, no. Rodri's not going to be fit. So, of course, Fernandinho's at centre-half for me. So, uh, yeah, Fernandinho... So, Otamendi, Argentina international no, centre-back. And I think it's... I would play him if I had someone like Vincent Kumpi next to him or Emirate Laporte next to him. Otamendi sort of, I think, needs someone to sort of keep... Sort of get him on a lead and, like, tell him what to do. And it seems like John Stones isn't that man either. He, most of the time, needs someone telling him what to do positionally. And uh, they both seem to have got a bit of the screw loose at times. And they need that centre-half next to them telling them what to do. Fernandinho knows the system inside out. So I think he would be great to partner with, with either of those and obviously out of the two of Otamendi and Stones and picking Stones all day. So I'd have them. In terms of the importance of the, the game, it's massive. It's bigger than it's been. It's, well, it's bigger than the first game was last year in the, in the league. It's not as big as the second one because I think the second one brought things... Well, it brought us back on, onto, uh, onto the path, didn't it, last year. But the first fixture, uh, the Anfield one where Mahrez missed the pen, it wasn't as important. Uh, I think this is so much, so much more important because we're so far away. On the basis that we expect to beat Southampton next weekend in the league, and that's the only league game between now and Liverpool, if we lose at Anfield, then the gap, assuming of course Liverpool have won, goes to nine points. That's massive, isn't it? So does that mean City have got to go to Anfield and not play as they did last year, which is to hope to nick one, which they nearly got the win, of course, with a penalty late on, or do they have to go there and play to win? I think we... Pep always says I he goes that. to play that, to win. That, that should be on a loop, that yeah. sigh, because that it's probably di- reflects yeah. the mood of a lot of it's City fans, doesn't it? Because really, ideally, you wouldn't have slipped up so much earlier in the season so that you could go... We'll have a point at Anfield, like we, because we haven't won there since 2003, so we don't expect points there. We'll get a point there, and we beat him at home. Now we put ourselves in a situation where we really, we need to go and beat him at Anfield. So how we're going to do that, I don't know. That's that's Pep's job, but <laughs> I just think it's going to be it's going to be really really difficult. We need to go there and win. However, Pep feels is the best way for us to do that. It might be just to give them a bit more respect, like we did at Anfield last season, then try and nick one. That that might be the way to do it, but that's going to Pep's going to do that through gritted teeth again, I think, maybe. What about you two? I think it's massive. I think it's the biggest game of the season. And uh, the only thing I'm clinging on to was the fact that when we played them at home last season, we were a couple of points behind, weren't we? They were they were going to win it, the, you know what I mean, as they usually do. We beat them, and that was the turning point of the season. It felt like people come out the ground and felt reinvigorated. It felt like something was going to happen. So I'm just clinging to that, and I reckon if, if we can scrape a 1-0 
that'll turn our season around. Harry Kane said after the Spurs game today that he thought that Spurs' mistake was, particularly having took the lead very early on, that they then went into a holding mode and that he'd regretted not going further forward. Now, <laughs> obviously, I've, I've written a book with Vincent Company, which comes out next month, in which he talks about the Liverpool game at Anfield last year without revealing everything. Um, you know, I think he he accepted that City were quite defensive at Anfield and maybe he felt too that it could have been more positive. So are you saying that City have to completely throw away what happened at Anfield last year and go at, go at it the way that they did the previous year when actually they lost two games there, didn't they? Mm, and got battered. Yeah, but exactly. But we, we scored three and we, we, some of the two of the goals we conceded were rubbish. So... I, we are the best attacking team in the Premiership. We're one of the best attacking teams in Europe. I think we always, no matter what the game is, I think we should always look to go and attack the opponent, no matter who they are. But who's your defenders at Anfield? Stones and Fernandinho. So Otamendi, I keep saying, Argentina international. Mm. He's gone, is he? That's the way you're talking. <laughs> it's a bit similar to Dimichelis at the end of his kind of City career, really. He had a good season the last two beforehand, but then, you know, it was just that time that he wasn't the player that he was. And he... I always put that down to him having his hair cut, though, Dimichelis. <laughs> he was Samson great in that ponytail. Hair. When he had long hair, he was great, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I do, I do. I think um, with Otamendi, it's just kind of that nearly threw you off it. your track. Then, <laughs> no, so well, didn't it? go on, go on. I, get I was trying to think on. of his um, <laughs> his hairstyle before, but um, yeah, I think with Otamendi, it's just coming down towards that p- point of his career, and I think. He's lost that pace that he goes to the ground too quickly and goes to that sliding tackle and we can't afford those as much as we could do in the past because of VAR and things like that. In terms of Anfield, I think if we don't win, it's not the worst case scenario. Um, I think... Worst case for me would be a draw. Or, well, worst case is a loss, obviously. But ideally, if um, we don't win, I'd, I'd rather get a draw. I think that would be a good result um, in that sense. I know everyone we need to win to claw back the points. But at the same time, how we've won the title now twice from being behind come Christmas, New Year. So if we're behind come New Year again, I don't think it's necessarily the big thing. I think that was one of the things with last year when we beat them at home was it was on New Year's Day. So that set us up for that business end of the season where we won and just went on for the rest of the season to, you know, went, how was it, 18 games uh, in a row from there and that kind of kicked us on. If we beat them at Anfield, are we then going to go to the end of the season? I doubt it. So I think Liverpool are going to slip up regardless of whether it's against us or not. Um, but you're better off having it in your hands than not having it in your hands. So obviously we want to win. But realistically, from starting, I'm going with Mendy at left back. Um, and uh, no, no, you're gonna are you gonna go to right back now? I am gonna. I'm gonna Before go, you I'm gonna do, do that, do that you're, you're, you're preempting <laughs> my next question, right? So which is that obviously there's been a lot of squad rotation and yeah. there are a lot of games coming at the moment every three days. So we've seen both Kyle Walker and. Jao Cancelo playing at right back or Cancelo I think as they say now uh, it seems to change that but anyway you know the other guy at right back is have you formed a view now as to well let, let's set the Anfield game who, who do you pick at right back you were nearly there so I've preempted it yeah well for me it's Mendy Fernandinho Stones and Walker Walker um, for that experience I don't think Adam's agreeing no, here no. <laughs> <laughs> in hands when I said that I, I mean I do like what I've seen of Cancelo so far um, but again I think there's some games where I've seen him and he's been too narrow he's not been hugging the line as much as Walker would and kind of stretching the pitch which we need to do at Anfield um, hopefully you know, that's just a case of playing and pep system and it will kind of come over time but um, for Anfield now yeah, it's got to be Walker for me so Walker is vote one Adam the case of the defence <laughs> against Salo <laughs> this is ne- well, this is just less this is more prosecution of Kyle Walker than right, defence against enough. Salo to be fair <laughs> so I put my head in my hands because I just Walker's a liability for me completely strong just, words strong just, words oh, he just does my head in like He's literally the only reason he's a professional footballer is because he can run fast. That's it for me. I just don't see anything apart from the fact he can run fast, and he's not even doing much going forward at the minute. And the annoying thing about this is I don't want to play Walker, but in an ideal situation you don't want to play Cancelo either. He's played a few times for us. He's not played in a big game like this before. Do you want to throw him in 
to the probably the biggest game of the season straight away, having only played a couple of games. He doesn't know the system as well as Walker. As much as I say that I don't like Walker, Walker will know the system better. You're talking we'll, we'll yourself so round well. here. <laughs> but... I think Walker's dreadful, but Cancelo hasn't got the experience Walker's got in the game. I'd rather play neither of them, but I've got to pick one. So, so I will. I will. I will play Walker, but I don't want to you play him. You pick Walker. No, bro. What I mean? You pick Walker, Walker, but I don't want to play him. I don't want to play. I can't him believe that that started. It's off. a lose-lose situation. To be fair, I you, don't you, think... you look Tony. They're like daggers, <laughs> and then you go for him anyway. Unbelievable. Uh, I was going to give the casting vote to Will, but there is no casting vote now. Is there? What are you going for? Um, I quite like Walker. <laughs> what? Um, is that it, then? <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, does anyone else think Cancelo's sort of faded into the background a bit? I've That's not... good though, because Walker sticks out like a sore thumb because he's so bad at the minute. True, but he just doesn't look... I mean, the whole point of our wing-backs is to be exciting and to be creative and to come into the middle. And I've just not seen Cancelo do anything... He keeps possession. This is the other side, I think, of the argument. Uh, Cancelo keeps possession really, really well. So when you watch him in possession, um, where Kyle Walker will rampage forward a little bit, cut inside and try and take people on, nothing wrong with that. It's very exciting to watch. He will lose possession, and Pep is all about keeping possession. So when I look at why did he bring Cancelo in, what do I see in him that's different? Yes, he's got a reputation for being a quick, overlapping fullback, and he has sent in the odd cross that has actually been very dangerous. But more, but the the thing, the impression I've got of him at the moment that is sitting in my brain of the games I've seen is that Cancelo is a far more trusted possession keeper. Now at Anfield, is that not a massive? attributes to bring to the table because if I had to go one way or the other I might just go for Cancelo so you two have gone for Walker I think you've just well added to that have you I'm going to go for Cancelo I mean but surely against Liverpool when they've got their fullbacks coming up you want the same thing going the other way you need to have two marauding fullbacks so I'd go if you're going to be on the front foot yeah definitely but we need and like I was saying before I think we should be on the front foot we need to go to Anfield with the intention of being on the front Foot. So you need to have the attacking fullbacks to match. Walker's the only other positive for Walker. I'm, I'm now de- I'm You're completely Kyle turning Walker. it round now. I'm aren't just you? saying that I think physically he's good. It's a good job you are so not a barrister. Facing it like you'd have your own, own client. Put it put away. Going, what are you doing? But yeah, I think like if he's facing his own corner flag and there's nothing to go wrong and he's and he's a one-on-one battle. Strength, strength-wise, he's really good. So if he's, if he's down to a battle, he needs to be be strong and stuff. Might be good in terms of physicality because we don't possess much physically. And we saw today, Liverpool were throwing the ball in the box like mad. So we need to make sure that we're quite strong. So there's an argument for Walker. But <laughs> after after hearing your argument, Ian, I am now going to ask Cancelo. To be fair, but. I don't know. I rest I, I, my I, case, my lord. I don't want to pick anyone. I don't want to pick anyone. <laughs> Three at the back. <laughs> right, yeah. it, it, right. Okay. Well, we've talked about all that. The, the other player that I particularly want to to just throw into the the mix, you can talk about him a lot, or you can talk about him a little. But Gundogan, who was back in that position because Rodri was injured. Uh, obviously, he he was there before because Rodri and Fernandinho played together at the back. But Gundogan has played back in that position that he occupied quite a bit towards the end of last season. Uh, Pep has sung his praises, said one of the best signings he's ever made. He is often the um, the one who is picked out a little bit for some criticism by some fans, though I do notice quite significantly quite a lot were on his side after the performance against Villa. Where, where is Gundogan in, in all this? Is he now a, a first name on the team sheet? Is he one of the players that, that automatically starts at Anfield in that big game? I'm picking that out because obviously I don't want to bring in squad rotation because squad rotation by by definition means that players who might be a first choice are rested in certain games. Mm. But I'm assuming at Liverpool, he's going to pick what he considers to be his strongest eleven. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm his big, one of his biggest uh, critics, to be honest. Um, I've been given stick in the past for what I've said about Gundo. Um, even though I do think he's got great ability, um, and we've seen that in previous seasons when it comes to Champions League performance, I've not seen it in the Premier League until this season, and in particular the last 
two games with him in that holding midfield role, I've been really impressed and kind of um, not necessarily changed my view um, in that sense just yet. As I say, he's got the ability. I need to see it week in, week out. And I think that's the difference between your likes of um, a, well, world-class footballer or even just a great footballer and a good footballer is can you do it week in, week out? We know David Silva can do it. We know Kevin can do it. Can Gundo, he's done it two, week, two weekends on the row now. So, um, you know, we'll wait and see. Is he making that position his own? Definitely. I think um, when Rodri comes back, will he just automatically slip in? No, I think he'll um, probably be fighting for a centre-back position, considering how well Gundo is doing at the moment. So, um, by all means, yeah, singing his praises, but he's just got to continue with that consistency. Because, for example, in the first half, I don't think he had the best of games. He was breaking up playing and, you know, made some crucial um, tackles. But at the same time, I think as a collective in the first half, we didn't play great other than Sterling, I suppose. But uh, in the second half, especially that scissor kick, what a goal that was yesterday. Um, phenomenal goal. One of the contributors to the vlog this weekend called him Gundog. <laughs> and said that I thought, and I thought that's an interesting nickname that he's, uh, he's coined there. Uh, go on, Adam. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been impressed with him. I was really impressed with him in the Champions League game. I thought I thought he played played really well. Um, I think he's got to start Anfield for me if I'm putting Fernandinho at centre half. If Rodri was fit, I would be playing Rodri. I think he's played he's played well. Um, but uh, yeah, I do think he, I think he needs to start. I mean, he needs to start in midfield. He wouldn't be part of my my creative two, of course. He would be that that holding player. He's played well, so yeah, like you say, I think when Rodri comes back in, you know. It, Gundogan on merit should be starting until he has bad games or until Rod- he feels like Rodri's good enough to step back in because the argument is that Rodri hasn't been too good defensively this season like he's, he's look a bit looks a bit suspect going backwards so even at, even at Anfield if he was fit you might have a few doubts on whether he can actually defend well enough going backwards so yeah Gundogan he's looking yeah. looking solid isn't he he's one of those players that has sort of faded into the background because he's sort of Great at a lot of things, but not outstanding at one thing because you know you know what Sterling's great at, you know what De Bruyne is great at, and David Silva. Whereas Gundo's sort of like a jack of all trades. I said like he's like a glorified James Milner, isn't he? He's just he's great at lots of things, but he's obviously better than James Milner. But um, yeah, I just think he's great at a lot of things, and he's do, he's doing well at the minute. Yeah, um, I'd just follow on up on Adam's point really that he can play all across the midfield, and I think with Gundogan is. Um, he needs to establish where he's strongest because everyone sees him as the holding, the replacement for Rodri. But I remember one of Gundogan's best games was when he played further up against Barcelona in the Champions League. He scored two goals. I think he made another one and everyone was saying, wow, this guy is is really special. And then he, he almost got drop, dropped back a bit to allow for Kevin and David. And I just think maybe give him a chance further forward. Obviously not not now now so we've got Rodri out and Ferner back but once we start getting fully fit again yeah maybe maybe have him as a a number 8 further forward but it's worth I'd still if if it was possible to do it obviously with the injury crisis that we have at the moment it isn't but well, Fernandinho would still be my first choice in that role, just in front of about four. Yeah. Anyway, I want to move to a different area here. Uh, I want to talk about VAR a little bit, even though nothing significant has happened for City. I mean, yes, there was an example of VAR delaying the game yesterday, but we've seen a lot of VAR decisions given over the weekend and in recent weeks, which have angered fans of other clubs. And I just wonder, having extensively talked about VAR and how it's impacted on City, fans and we even had a guy called Andy Savage here um, a a few um, back I can't remember which episode it was but I'm sure you'll find it if if you're a subscriber or you've probably already listened to it if you're a subscriber to the the podcast But, but Andy was talking about it was the breaking point for him. He was going to walk away from football. And I've heard on phone-ins, on, on radio stations, fans of other clubs espousing the same sort of view about this will ruin football. Now, now that you're a little bit more distant from him, from it, so there hasn't been the same impact, i.e. City haven't been you know, damaged by, by a VAR decision, does that alter your feeling? Do you have a feeling on what's been happening in general and the way people have been reacting to it? 
It doesn't alter my feeling. Um, as people who I was on the podcast with Andy, uh, I think it was Emily as well, um, when we were talking about it, at that point I was saying I'm a fan of VAR. I knew um, you were a fan, so that's an interesting view you've got. Again, my opinion's not changed. I don't think VAR's the problem. I think it's the implementation of VAR. Um, I think that's what it comes down to in the Premier League. Um, I see it operated a lot better in other leagues, and there's so many issues that we have with VAR at the moment, um, but none of them are down to VAR. VAR itself, it's how it's being used and implemented. Uh, the biggest one for me is consistency. Um, and we see it kind of across the season when we get new rules come into play. So last season without VAR, when they said they were going to clamp down on pushing and shoving in the box, um, I think, um, was it the Southampton game where we um, had a penalty against us um, for pushing and shoving in the box within the first couple of weeks? Um, but then the Premier League kind of relaxed that rule and then it faded off and, you know, you can push and shove in the box on corners now and, you know, like it should be because, you know, they didn't want to take that physical aspect out of football. Now, with VAR, we've seen a similar thing with the handball rule that this is a handball rule, so we suffered the consequences of that against Spurs, but then in other games, I think it was a Newcastle game, we've seen that handball being given as a goal rather than a handball because they relaxed the rule. And this is where, for me, it's consistency because that's then not a level playing field for everybody. So if that is the rule, then they need to change that come the next season in terms of its implementation. For the fans, because it was an eternity for the De Bruyne one yesterday in the ground, they just need to show the replay in the ground. It's as simple as that. They don't need to necessarily tell us what's going on, but if they're just showing a loop of you know the incident, at least us fans know what they're reviewing. Um, well, I've got to say, on that one, I'm sat in the press box at home game, so I've got a little monitor in front of me, so I saw the replay, albeit on a small screen, and I didn't think it was particularly conclusive. Now, I'm sat in, in watching this, this goal. Just to remind people, if you can't picture the goal I'm talking about, Kevin De Bruyne whips in a ball, which curls towards goal and outstretches David Silva. The question is, did David Silva make any contact? And then... Raheem Sterling is further on in the movement of the ball and he looks as if he might be trying to get out of the way of it. He may have got a contact too. The ball ends up in the back of the net. So the interesting thing is that the stadium announcer at City immediately announced that David Silver had scored that goal. My instinct was that from watching it was that it was a Kevin De Bruyne goal. I then watched the replays, which is what you're saying everybody should have access to, and I, I can't disagree with that. Uh, and I watched several replays mm. and thought... Not sure who touched that then. I then watch it on Match of the Day later on a bigger screen on my TV at home where they freeze it. And even though nobody's saying this, I'm actually thinking that, although nobody will want to admit to this, that Raheem Sterling may have actually touched it. Now, and the irony of all this is, as I'm sure you're aware, because I'm going to come to it now, is that... If David Silva had touched the ball, mm. that would have meant that Raheem Sterling, whether he touched it or not, would have been offside because he would have been uh, obscuring the, the or interfering with the goalkeeper uh, from the point David Silva touches it. If David Silva hadn't touched it and Kevin De Bruyne's shot had just gone directly in, then Raheem Sterling wouldn't have been offside because he arrived later and didn't, interf didn't didn't block the view. So um, even though I, I, I didn't make it clear on Twitter yesterday when I did this tweet, that's what I was alluding mm. to, that, 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 that the fact... And then later on, of course, the dubious goals <laughs> panel of the Premier League decides that David Silva did touch it, which surely then means, by definition, that that must have been an offside goal, which I find completely bizarre. Well, um... <laughs> I think for me, I mean, that's where VAR worked well yesterday. So the How can that have worked well, Tony? Come because on. the decision from the VARs uh, in the van, from what I've read and what even Match of the Day said yesterday, was they, could, they decided they didn't have a definitive enough angle to judge that Silver had touched the goal. So where you've seen, you've seen it a few times at first, it looked he did and he didn't. So if they can't make a decision, they go with what the ref sees on the pitch. Well, that so does that's the dubious goal well. panel say that Silver touched it Because, then. again, on Match of the Day, you saw the highlight of David Silva saying to the ref and pointing at his ankle saying it just touched me and that side of it so I'm guessing that's probably the evidence they've used to say that he did thingy but the VAR were only reviewing the goal and not the aftermath of the goal where it's all heading towards the uh, 
halfway line and that don't, side. Don't of you it. find it ironic though that one oh, yeah. arm of the Premier League says David Silva touched it and another arm of the Premier but League? But then this is my other issue with VAR though because it is an arm of the Premier League uh, refereeing association rather than being an independent VAR body. The same way the dubious goals is an independent uh, body. So. Again, it's a case for me of having the right people in the right jobs, um, regardless of what walk of life you're in. That is, you know, I run a business myself, and that's essentially what it comes down to: is you're putting the right people in the right job to get the right results. Whereas VAR, we're not doing, and that for me is, as I say, the implementation being the issue rather than the technology. This was the um, the first weekend that a penalty had been overturned, and a VAR had given a penalty. Well, Didn't it actually- happen twice at the United game? Yeah, there's been four. There hadn't been any this season until this weekend, where there's been four penalties given by VAR. But I noticed that the one uh, I can't remember what game it was. He stood on his foot completely, sort of accidentally. Um, That was this weekend, and of course there was the earlier one this season when David Silva. Silva, I was just about to say that. Completely the same incident, you would argue. I don't think the one we saw this weekend was it the West Ham game, uh, where the the penalty was given, am I right in thinking, yeah, yeah. The, the penalty was By given, VAR. and that to me looked like, although this is the problem with VAR, it's still subjective, so I watched that and think, that he didn't mean that, that was an accidental collision, <laughs> I wouldn't have given the penalty. But it's still a foul, I think it was a foul. And, uh, it, but it proves my point, yeah, yeah, a bit yeah. like Adam being, being the prosecution and the defence, <laughs> there is no answer to this, no. is there, because no. it is subjective. But then, so, sorry, I'm gone. Go on. So, this whole subjective thing, yes, it is subjective, and that's why VAR should be great, because what VAR should do for me, it should clear up objective things offside. So, yes, that is offside, it's not offside. Done. The subjective Even things, if it's only a millimetre? Yeah, it's offside. That's offside. You've agreed, offside by millimetre. I don't see, I don't agree so, with that. Well, that's OK. <laughs> you, don't agree, you don't agree with that. But the subjective side of it, VAR should be there to help the referee make a decision. And at the minute... VAR, it's all like, oh, it's wasting time. We should take as much time as we need to get those decisions right. Does it not spoil right. your celebration, though? You know when all that no, deliberation I'm, is I don't, I don't get all this. Everyone's like, oh, I don't celebrate now until it goes in. I, I'm sorry, but I looked straight down the south stand and I didn't see anyone not celebrate any of those goals at the weekend. Did you I celebrate at the kickoff? Did Adam, because I've, no. I've seen lots of people do this now on the kickoff after the goal, everybody does an ironic cheer. You mm. don't do that, do you not? No, I just, no, because well, that's just part of the game now. I think VAR, the referee should go over and look at things. So those penalty incidents you're saying are subjective. Yeah. They are, I agree. They're subjective. VAR isn't going to clear that up. Monitor what it's on the touchline. Yeah. yeah, what it's going to do is going to give the referee a better chance to make his opinion up. The game is an opinion. The referee has an opinion initially, and VAR should help him make that decision by giving him some angles. If that takes three or four minutes, it takes three or four minutes. It does it at the rugby, and it works. Everyone can see it in the stadium. We need it at the stadiums. It happens there. Even though VAR or TMO, as it is in rugby, they actually make that final decision. I think it'd be better if the referee did it. Even the Americans are getting it right. They're allowed to go over and look at it. The referee goes over and looks at it. If it takes five minutes, it takes five minutes. It's, 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 It's Premier League trophies, it's trophies, it's money. It's, I don't care how long it takes. As long as we get that right decision, I don't care. I'm still, cel- I'm still celebrating when that ball goes in. And so is everyone else, to be honest. Yeah. Everyone's a bit overreacting for me. Well, I think, again, as I say, it does come down to consistency. So the issue with VR for me, and the reason I'm such a fan of it, is because referees are too inconsistent. So if we take VAR out of the game yesterday, let's just look at the referee's performance. It was shocking, in my opinion, yesterday. I think there were so many challenges, and this comes down to mentality again, that, oh, well, I won't book him because he's already on a yellow card. Um, I'm thinking of Grealish here, who should have got two yellows, but that's by the by. Um, but I think he didn't get booked because he was on a yellow, it was kind of towards the end of the uh, first half so we'll get to half time and he won't get his yellow yet Fernandinho does get a second yellow and I think VAR for me should have bridged those gaps of consistency in the on-pitch refereeing Um, and I just think in terms of how it's been implemented in the Premier League in particular um, we've just put the cart before the horse I really do I just think we've gone jumped all in without actually trialling anything and for not using the touchline monitors to say that saves time I think if anything if you get rid of the guys in the van and just leave a touchline monitor and let the ref go and make his own decision it would work a lot better than what we've got now 
Just on the subject of Tony Grealish, um, I, I did tweet out a pitch Jack, yesterday. Jack Sorry, Jack Grealish. <laughs> Tony Grealish did play for City in the past. That's why that added that slip. But yeah, Jack Grealish. I did tweet out a picture of him with his socks down yeah, by his yeah. ankles. And somebody said yesterday, well, as long as he's got mini shin pads in, he's not breaking the rules. I personally would book him every time he comes onto the pitch and starts a game with his socks down by his ankles, even if he has got shin pads on like that. Because as far as I'm concerned, the reason why you wear socks, the reason why you wear shirts that, that are all identical by the way and shorts that, is so that you can identify somebody mm. and if your socks are down by your ankle then you ha- if, if everybody did that imagine if all 22 players did that you wouldn't be able to distinguish the legs in the penalty the penalty box between one team and the other so yeah. why referee, should Jack is, Grealish to be allowed yeah. to do that as a referee that is really annoying so sometimes I've have refereed kids who have got maybe but they, they might have might be a team in, in a red top and a yellow top, but they might both have black socks. Absolute nightmare for me as a referee in the middle of the pitch trying to sort that out. Because you're not looking at the, the top when you see any of the balls come off as it goes out. So I agree, I don't think he should be allowed to do that. I think he needs to wear his socks. At least to, you know, not necessarily over the knees, but certainly above above the shin, definitely. That's just, look at me, I'm an individual, yeah. I'm not part of this team. And, uh, and, and... I think he's a very talented footballer, but that attitude to me is the Pogba-type attitude. And the reason why United are what they are at the moment is because they're full of... In- I mean, I know we're going off subject a bit here, but why? Because they're full of individuals, whereas our team, the City team at the moment, is the absolute example of teamwork, togetherness and playing for the team. Is that not the Pep team, though, and why he had that clear out when he first came and everyone said, you know, I mean, we all, I think, on agreement that we loved Joe Hart when he was here, um, similarly with Yaya, but it was those egos that Pep wanted to get rid of um, and have a team mentality and I think that's one of the biggest difference between us Liverpool United uh, less so Chelsea because they've since they've got rid of Hazard have seemed to have this team a bit more um, but I do think that's for me is what sets us about from other teams out there especially when we're on the pitches each player is playing for the other player rather than for themselves like we do see sometimes at United where if Pogba's having a crap day United are having a crap day because he brings the whole squad down whereas as a team I like to see that we fight for each other um, and I think that for me is one of you know the markers of a great pep team that we've got at the moment Spot on Right um, so we've got uh, two games before the next podcast uh, obviously the both against Southampton and uh, this is a team that's just been beaten 9-0 at home um, next time I do a, a vlog, no doubt, uh, and I'm asking fans what they think, they'll be going, oh, I think I'll go for 9 nil today. <laughs> that will be, you know that that's what people are going to say. 10. Is, is that what you really think? I mean, is it is it just all bravado, or, or do you think Southampton are now just going to be there for the taking? The fact that I know this will tell you the mentality I have. Southampton are 14-1 to to beat us on Tuesday. Um, not so, bad in a two-horse race, that is it, eh? Well, it's, not, it's not the worst though. We've had we've had thirty to ones in the past couple of years. And that was years. after that result, yeah. um, because again, it was that typical City mentality of yes, they've lost nine 0 but watch them come Tuesday and they're going to beat us two one or something daft like that. So you know, I looked at it and thought, is it worth uh, a cheeky Have one? Have you had I a think- bet, Tony? Um, not yet, but last time Adam was on the podcast, he said, and it was before Wolves, that um, we're going to smash Wolves, this, that, and the other. Um, <laughs> did, did. Oh, no. and there, thought, Adam's just jinxed this, I'm going to put a bet on, and he won me 140 quid off that podcast. Oh, so. <laughs> really? So you bet on Wolves because he, he was going for a yep. big score for City? Yeah. I just thought in my head for some reason, I went, what are the odds on that? And I put it down, and yeah, um, I won that one. But I mean, realistically, do, am I confident? Yes, I'm going, you know, I think we should beat them. Um, but I just don't know. Is that typical City's coming? My mentality again this season, whereas it disappeared for two years. So come on, Adam. What what bet is uh, Tony putting on this week? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I've, I've learnt my lesson. I'm not going to be too... I'm not going to say we're going to win by too many, but we know we know the manager's staying. It came out today. The, the Telegraph reported that the, the manager's staying and the changes are going to happen elsewhere. They're going to. We're talking be, Southampton. They're talking Southampton. <laughs> Pepe, Pepe's staying as well. So yeah, Southampton manager staying. Can't pronounce his name, but he's staying anyway. Hasn't Huddle. Hasn't. Ha- brilliant. There we go. Proper commentator's pronunciation. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's staying, uh, and they've said that there's going to be changes elsewhere. So this is. It was sort of like a reset getting beat nine nil. For Southampton, that's I think, my fear. Yeah, it's sort of that they've, they've hit the reset button after that nine 0 and they're saying they're going to make these changes. So they're going to want to start this new, new period of time. This, 
this new section of time with a decent result, they're going to come and they're going to sit. They're not going to want to get beat by that again. They know there's a possibility because, you know, when we're on our top form, we know we can batter people and they, they know that we could batter them as well, even if they play well. So I just think they'll really sit back in both games and it, it could be it could get difficult because it's going to be... It's going to be back against the wall, but it's going to be... It, it, mm, yeah. It, no, no. Four threes, think, you bet, Tony. Four threes, you bet. Well, there we go. <laughs> I was just having a look there at um, what Watford did after we beat them 8 0, and they've not gone on to win a game yet other than a Carabao against Swansea. So Very I was just kind of seeing, you know, what the wounded animal kind of mentality will do. And if they're anything to go by, then I'm slightly more confident. But as I say, I don't know what's happened with me this season. I'm bottling at every possible opportunity when it comes to this mentality with typical City. I really am. <laughs> what I do you think, mean, Will? I think last word to you. When a team wins, lo- sorry, when a team loses. 4-0, 5-0, you always say, yeah, they're going to have to come back and they're going to have to put in a good shift. But when you lose 9-0, that's just devastation, that, isn't it? And, and then to Especially come, at home. At, at home. And then to come to the treble winners twice in a week, twice in four days. I'm not going to say a trouncing, but I think we'll win both games. Right, well, we'll see. Um, and obviously, by the time the next podcast is recorded, uh, we'll be uh, getting very, very close to that Liverpool game. There'll just be a little trip to Italy in between times. Um, thanks very much to the three of you for, for being on this week's Forever Blue podcast. Thanks very much, of course, to uh, uh, charleslouis.co.uk, the Chartered Accountants, <laughs> Chartered Mortgage Advisors, uh, for being our sponsors for the podcast all season Uh, thanks very much for downloading this podcast by the way if you get a chance to give us a rating do that Uh, obviously if you get a chance to retweet the message or share it on Facebook or on anything else Instagram or whatever uh, please do that every time you download this or the vlog you help to keep us going so thanks very much for your support all the lovely comments mean the world as well Uh, so we'll see you again next time